0: Well, welcome back to the Palby Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Palby Christian Church, and crisp, beautiful, where winter has um, begun to happen here in central Oregon, 18 degrees this morning, 18 degrees. I had to warm up my car before I could even drive it, so anyways, Um, if you're listening um, and you don't know me, um, the, the people in my congregation know that I am a theater guy, I uh, down in Bend, Oregon, I get to do a lot of theater down there. And uh, coming up in January, I'm going to be, be in Fiddler on the Roof, uh, playing Tevye. Now, there's a famous playwright that I've never done a play by, nor do I even desire to do a play by this guy, because it's very deep. His name is Anton Chekhov. He was a Russian playwright. Those guys don't use a lot of humor or music in in their, in their plays. Chekhov did uh, The Three Sisters, Uncle Vanya. A- anyway, though... Chekhov is actually famous uh, in the theater world for a literary device that we call Chekhov's gun. Okay? In a nutshell, Chekhov was saying, hey, listen, you, you need to take everything that's not important to the story, anything that is extraneous, pull it out, take it off. Don't include it in your play. The only things that are going to be up on stage are the things that are going to somehow be important throughout the entire play. Okay, so for instance, if there's a rifle, and this is where we get Chekhov's gun, he would say if there's a rifle that's hanging on the wall in Act One, then he says that gun must absolutely go off in Act Two or Act Three. Here's a quote by Anton Chekhov He says, One must never place a loaded rifle on the stage if it's not going to go off. It's wrong to make promises you don't mean to keep. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent comes from a Latin word that means to come. We sing the Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel is a title, not a name. It's a title that the prophet Isaiah attached to the Messiah that God had promised would come. And the the hymn depicts this longing of God's people for God to fulfill the promise to deliver them. So, O Come, O Come, Advent, Advent, Emmanuel. Advent has been celebrated in churches for centuries. It's designed to be a time that uh, leads up to the celebration of Jesus' birth, where believers prepare their hearts to recapture the meaning of that birth into our world. In in these four weeks that lead up to Christmas, and and by the way, yes, there's actually five um, weeks, five Sundays that lead up to Christmas Day. Uh, But uh, on our Christmas Eve, we're going to be doing uh, just a 9.30 service, where it's a kid's pageant, and then we'll do our regular communion candlelight service in the evening. So in these four weeks that lead up to that day, churches have come to focus in on several aspects of the story of Jesus's birth. Sometimes you take characters, uh, and you focus on them, you know, shepherds, and angels, and Mary, and Joseph. Sometimes you take concepts like uh, peace, and hope, and joy, and love, and that's what the churches will focus in uh, each week in, in their sermons. Here at Powell Butte, we've gotten creative. As we've looked at, uh, uh, in the past, we've, we've looked at Christmas songs each week or Christmas movies each week, things like that. See, I, I think it's cool when we can find a fresh perspective on a story that can, unfortunately for some, lose some of its wonder. Because to some people, it's just a routine story. Oh, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Jesus's birth, manger, okay, I get it. This year, as I mentioned last week, I, I want to use these beautiful banners that one of the gals in our congregation has put up uh, on the stage to prepare our hearts for the celebration of Jesus' birth. I walked in to the uh, sanctuary last week, and I saw these beautiful banners, because uh, the, the place was decorated one week early. And I think that that was a God thing, because then God was telling me something as I walked in. And I, I thought that I was going to focus on the characters of the story. And then I saw these beautiful banners up on the stage. Uh, Lion of Judah, Lamb of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. I'm like, there's my Advent. There's my Advent series right there. That's what I'm going to be doing. Because all of those are titles that are found wrapped up in the Nativity story. But we start today looking at the prophet's candle, or the candle of hope, or the candle of God's promises. Chekhov's gun, if you will. Because God essentially, and this is all metaphor. He essentially hung up a loaded rifle on the wall in Act 1. And he promises that that gun will go off by the end of the story. Now, the Old Testament is full of prophecies, full of promises, full of hope. Um, Promises of a renewed relationship with God. Uh, Promises of a desired deliverance of his people. It's It's an amazing thing how it all comes together. Even the genealogies uh, that we find in uh, in the Old Testament, and then in Matthew and Luke, even the genealogies that seem pointless, they all bring, it's it's gathering all of these promises together into one big promise. And we see that fulfilled in the greatest Christmas gift ever given to man. It starts at the beginning, in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. This is right after Adam and Eve have disobeyed God. They have listened to the serpent, the deceiver. Uh, They um, have eaten of the fruit that they were not supposed to. They recognize that they were naked. They try to cover up their own nakedness. God came down. They hid from him, indicating that their relationship with him had now suffered. And God then begins to mete out the consequences of their sin. And he talks to Adam and he talks to Eve. And then he comes to the deceiver that serpent that had deceived them into disobeying him. And uh, the, the serpent is being punished here in Genesis chapter 3. Um, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, which is uh, more than just hatred. It's really a um, just their enemies from this point on. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he, talking about the woman's offspring, he will crush your head and you will strike or bruise his heel. Now this is what is known in theology circles as the Proto-Evangelium, which essentially is the first proclamation of the gospel that we see in, the, in scripture, way, way in the beginning, Genesis chapter three. It's a promise from God that something amazing is going to happen. Okay, what day? Down the road. Before the show is over, he says, I'm setting it up right here. I'm telling you, something is going to come that is going to take care of your rebellious problem, your your cheating heart, once and for all. And so then there's this anticipation. When's it gonna happen? You, you know, like when you're a kid, and you just could not wait for the Christmas day to happen where you could open up all your presents, and you know, and, and the people know that something amazing is gonna happen because God promised that in the proto evangelium. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And they sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here. But nothing happens. Nothing happens for centuries. And we go from Adam to Noah to Abraham. And in fact, Abraham does receive some of the blessings. Uh, You know, God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a a a great land. But there was something more. God was reminding Abraham of that proto-Evangelium promise from Genesis chapter 3, because he says, from you, from you, the whole world will be blessed. I'm going to bring about someone from your lineage, Abraham, that through him, the entire world will be blessed. And and then you get the next several generations, Abraham to Isaac, his son, to Jacob, his son, and then, then we come to Genesis chapter 49. Now, this is a chapter that a couple of our men's Bible study groups are approaching as we are making our way through the book of Genesis. In chapter 49, we're at the end of Jacob's life. Now, Jacob, again, is Abraham's grandson, and Jacob has been renamed by God, Israel. So, Jacob and Israel, same person. So, if I slip up and say Israel instead of Jacob, you know I'm talking about the same person. Jacob has had 12 sons, And those descendants of his will become the 12 tribes of Israel. Because, again, his name is Israel, and so these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the end of his life, Jacob has this opportunity to gather all of his kiddos around, and he would speak both blessing and insight into their lives. Now, some of them um, he tells pretty cool stuff to. Others, not so much, depending upon what they had done in their life, their life choices. So when he gets to the fourth son, Judah, it goes Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah. Things get very interesting. Listen to what he says about Judah in uh, Genesis 49, starting in verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. here we have a very intriguing prophecy of the role that Judah is going to be playing in the, in the future of the Jewish nation. Judas, by the way, Judah's name sounds like the Hebrew word for praise. And so there is some Hebraic, um, uh, Hebrewism again some puns, some wordplay that Hebrews love their wordplay, by the way. So Judah sounds like praise. And his daddy says, guess what? Judah praise your brothers will praise you. Okay. Um, Your brothers are going to bow down to you, and it will be your hand, Judah, that will be at the neck of your enemies. Now, what Jacob is saying here is really intended for what is going to come from Judah. Uh, It's not as if Judah is going to be made king. They're still living down in Egypt, where Pharaoh is king, and and their brother Joseph is second in command. And so uh, Jacob will never become king, So, uh, or Judah does not become king. Jacob is not talking about him personally. He was talking about one that would become a descendant from Judah. Judah, according to verse 9, is a lion's cub, not a full-grown lion yet. But from one of him, he, it will grow to be a full-grown king of the beasts. So again, here's that whole Chekhov's gun idea. Something is being set up, right, that is going to come into play later on in the production. Judah's descendants are going to be rulers of God's people, beginning with King David. The scepter will not depart from Judah or the ruler's staff from between his feet. Now, that's a G-rated version of saying what makes babies coming from him, okay? Until, Until the tribute comes to this person, a person, and to him will be the obedience of the people. So why would God give this message in front of everybody? Why would God, through Jacob, give this message to the sons of Jacob unless he intended for them to pay attention and to watch for the fulfillment of this particular prophecy? Now, what does this all have to do with Christmas? Well, (laughs) let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew's gospel, starts out like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Notice, by the way, that the Hebrew concept of father and son does not require to be a direct connection between one generation and the next, you know. So Jesus is the son of David, but no, he's, no. Uh, And David is the son of Abraham. No, well, descendant-wise, that's how the Hebrews thought. You could say that this person uh, was the father of this person, but that could have meant that he was the great-grandfather of that person. So, anyways. Uh, And so then Abraham continues on. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Hmm. Then we skip uh, down just a little bit to verse 5. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. So you see this kind of hall of fame in Jesus's ancestry. But ultimately, ultimately, the point is to connect Jesus to King David, that's going to be important. We'll, we'll talk about that. And to Judah. Now, if a Hebrew was reading this account, it would be very plain to them. Judah. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's something about Judah that we were supposed to pay attention to. Uh, God told us to watch for something incredible to come from the lineage of Judah. Wasn't there a prophecy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Genesis 49. But there's actually a couple of prophecies, by the way. In fact, there are 48 very specific prophecies that are directly about the Messiah that are found in the Old Testament scriptures. There was, uh, decades ago, a mathematician, a guy by the name of Peter Stoner, who began to calculate the possibilities of one man fulfilling all 48 of these specific prophecies about the Messiah. And he concluded that the odds of a single person, a single man, fulfilling all 48 of these prophecies by mere chance, would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power, which is 1 out of 10 with 157 zeros after it. I I don't even know what that's called. Just 10 to the 157th power. Um, So how many prophecies did Jesus fulfill? All 48 of those, by the way. But actually more. Actually, he fulfilled seven times that amount. See, in addition to the 48 specific prophecies about the Messiah, about who he would be or what would happen to him, there are more than 324 additional individual prophecies that relate to his mission and his ministry. You can see why Stoner only wanted to calculate the 48, right? Uh, I, I bet his calculator would have broken if he tried to go uh, uh, one out of uh, three, uh, 300, what, whatever it is, 72, <laughs> you know just by chance. One guy doing that. The story of Jesus' birth and all that surrounds it is rich with fulfilled promises. Fulfilled prophecies. Micah said that the Messiah would be born in the region of Bethlehem. Balaam, not even a Jewish prophet, but a prophet nonetheless, Balaam spoke of a star that would rise, that would then give be the sign that a, a king had been born. Isaiah said the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Jeremiah would give the sobering prophecy uh, of the slaughter of innocent babies that would co- coincide with the appearance of the Messiah. Even the trip down to Egypt to was prophesied. Uh, the, this trip that was supposedly just to escape Herod, uh, that was part of the prophecy. And the town that they then moved back to uh, was part of the prophecy as well. And, and then again, as I mentioned, King David is important to note because in this genealogy, because there was a prophecy given to him that he would never fail to have a descendant on the throne. Okay, which eventually, if you're talking about a human lineage, he that lineage stopped, and he does not have a a, a, a descendant on the throne right now. By the way, if you were talking about a physical king. So he would have a descendant sitting on an eternal throne. So many prophecies. And that's what this first week of Advent is supposed to focus on. The prophecy of a Savior who would be God in the flesh, dwelling among his people. A lion who would stand up for his people and fight for an eternal kingdom of justice and righteousness. It's God setting up all of these things in Act 1 to show us that he... Number one, is the author of the story. Number two, he knows exactly what's happening. And number three, he's in control of it all. He is the one who has planted it all from the beginning. Jacob's words to Judah in Genesis 49 ring just as true as God's words in the Garden of Eden. To the serpent, there is coming one day one who will break the neck of the enemy, whose foot will crush the, the head of the deceiver. And that victor is the lion of Judah. So the candle of prophecy, the candle of promise, the candle of hope is actually about God being faithful to deliver on his promises that he gave to us in Act 1. Promises that have come true at the birth of Jesus as the Lion of Judah. And fulfilled promises ought to speak hope into our lives, into our world that struggles with so much sin and grief and pain and brokenness. We can have hope. There's a quote, and a lot of people have changed the quote up, and so I, I was trying to get at to, who said this first? I think it was Hal Lindsay said, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. In this life, there are so many things that make us desperate for hope. Financial struggles, unjust accusations, hunger, relational issues, but ultimately the story that scripture lays out for us from Genesis to Revelation shows us that God has provided hope for our ultimate desperation, which is our spiritual connection with him. That's what we're most desperate for, is to be reconnected to our creator. You know, this is what exiled Adam from the Garden of Eden, the sin that drove a wedge between he and his God, as he did not trust or obey God. This is what prevented the Exodus generation from entering into the Promised Land, an unwillingness to trust and follow God. This is what the religious practices of today that actually have been performed by every generation throughout history, this is what those practices were supposed to do, to reconnect us to God. But no ritual, no ritual can ever make it right. It was only when our sin issue is dealt with, the rebelliousness of our heart is done away with, cleaned away, can we be made right with God. And so God promises to do for us what we could not do on our own. We could not do through any of our good deeds or our re- religious rituals. We needed a change of heart. And a change of heart requires a power greater than ourselves. The power to break the grip of sin. And the power to offer them hope uh, of overcoming uh, what the, the deceiver will throw at us. All of that lies in the promised Messiah. There's a passage that I want to point out this week and then we're going to look at next week as well that shows the mighty power of God as he gives us an eternal hope. Revelation chapter 5. And yes, we start at the beginning and we end at the end. Yeah. Revelation 5 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, seals. You see, that scroll there that John sees in the Revelation represents the gift of eternal life. The names that are written in that scroll, they have life. There's only one, though, that had the strength to conquer the enemies in our souls. Only one who had the ability then to open up that gift of eternal life to those who were born under the curse of spiritual death. Only one that could bring us the hope of eternal life. The Lion of Judah it represents the promises of God fulfilled in the advent of the Lord Jesus. God promised to deliverer. Christmas reminds us that he delivers on that promise. The hope we now have is not a hope that says, well, I, I hope it's going to happen. I, I, I'm not absolutely sure it will, but I sure hope it does. It would be nice if it does. No, no, no. This is the kind of hope that says, no, I'm trusting in the faithfulness of God. So much so that I have hope. That's where my, that's the only thing that's gonna get me through this is to know what God has promised to me. So I know I won't drown. I know I won't be overcome. I will one day be resurrected into eternal life where the struggles that I have gone through in this life will be outshined. They will pale in comparison to the riches and the the beauty that God has designed for me in the renewed creation. This Christmas season, I pray for that kind of hope to be in your heart fill your heart. I pray that knowing that God makes good on his promises, by the way, over 300 times, just in regards to the ministry of the Messiah, right? That that God who makes good on his promises will will continue to give you confidence in his faithfulness so that you can trust that the one who set things up in act one is going to make sure of what is needed to happen by the end of the play. And he is in control. He does have this thing planned. And though you will struggle in this life because Jesus said you will, one day you're going to step into eternity and you will hear the words, well done, good faithful servant. Now enter into your rest. So when you see yourself kind of lost in act two or in act four or wherever it is you're in, in this production of life, you can be sure that, that the script has been written, right? There's been nothing that happens that God has not been aware of. Nothing that cannot be redeemed For that big reveal at the end of time when Jesus makes his second advent into this world. As he comes back for his church. As he destroys his enemies. As the uh, heavens and the earth are remade the way that God had designed them originally to have. Praise God for that promise. It is the promise of hope. Well, that's our uh, Christmas sermon for today little shorter than normal, but um, it's it's kind of nice to focus in on uh, the several aspects of Advent. Next week, we're going to be looking at the Lamb of God, and uh, which is also there in Revelation 5, by the way. Spoiler alert. Um, because John's going to see a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And that lion is the lamb, and it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Anyways, I hope your Christmas season is going to start off well, that you uh, keep Jesus as the center of what's going on, that you don't uh, fall to the commercialism and the, I got to buy all of the stuff I need to go in debt. Please don't. Please don't go into debt. Please don't run yourself ragged. Choose the things that you're going to be participating in this this year. If you have to be at kids' programs, then be at kids' programs, but uh, just make sure that you're teaching your kids what this is all about. And that you uh, continue to be Jesus in this world to people who don't know who he is. Anyways, uh, bless you for uh, tuning in. Uh, thank you, Lisa Welly for uh, doing the executive producing of these podcasts. And Steve Pittman for um, just making sure that we have all of the techn- technological gear here. Thank you to Ron Becker, who prays for you guys and prays for our church as I preach. And, uh, and thank you to you again for you uh, tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.